Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 37 of the Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about dyslipidemia. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host and creator here at physicianassistantexamreview.com, where you can find all the notes from the podcast over on the website. So anytime I don't I mispronounce something or there's something that's a little confusing or perhaps I jumble things a little bit when I say them, uh, definitely head over to the website. All the notes should be there really nice and clear. It's, again, something I've worked on uh, last year to try to have that all together. If you go over to the website and click on, I think it's Blueprint uh, in the upper right-hand corner of the menu, and you will pull up the whole list of all the, the currently published podcasts, all the back issues, everything that you're going to want, uh, you can find right there. Really nice, really, really easy. So definitely go over and check that out. So for today, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to talk about uh, our very, very last topic for en- uh, the endocrine system. And I was shocked when I saw this. I didn't realize we were at the end already because I took six months off in the middle. So I didn't realize how I was progressing through it. Uh, so I didn't see that we're, we're right up here at the end. And what the last section for endocrinology is dyslipidemia. So two things. One is it's a pretty short section. So I was kind of excited to see that, that we don't have a lot to cover today. And I don't have anything else to roll into it because we're finishing up endocrinology. I'm not going to start start a different topic uh, in the same show. So then the other interesting thing was this is something that sort of overlaps a little bit with cardiology, right? We covered some dyslipidemia stuff there. So it's a little, a little bit of a rehashing of that material that we covered not too long ago. The good news is, and as you know, if you follow along at all, that I'm a big fan of repetition. I think repetition is tremendous. It's one of the best ways your brain has for learning things or not learning things, for remembering things is through repetition. As soon as you hear something, you immediately start forgetting it, right? So the more you hear it, the more frequently you hear it, the more often you see it, the more it sticks in your brain, the more you can make it yours, the longer it's there for. So to to once in a while repeat things is not a problem at all. In fact, it's probably a a huge bonus for us. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and, and do that here today. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and use the exact same priming questions and see if you can get them right this time. So let's go ahead and do that. Do males or females have more atherosclerosis? Males or females? What's the most important secondary cause of dyslipidemia? What's the most important secondary cause of dyslipidemia? What's considered a normal level of triglycerides? When talking about HDL and LDL, generally speaking, we want to go one to go up and one to go down in our patients. Which is which? All right, so we're going to jump into dyslipidemia today. I'll start off with just some definitions. Low-density lipoprotein, lipoprotein, LDL. Uh, some people will refer to that with the L in the front as lousy. Uh, increased LDL correlates with an increased risk of heart disease. So increased LDL, increased risk of heart disease. And again, that's why we care about these numbers. Not because the specifics of the numbers are bad. Uh, the math doesn't really matter. It's how they correlate to coronary artery disease. It's how they correlate to heart disease. High-density lipoprotein, HDL, again, some people here will use that H to remind them of the word happy, and an increased HDL correlates with a decreased risk of heart disease. So we want that to, generally speaking, to go up, and LDL to, generally speaking, go down. Triglycerides, an increase in triglycerides is correlated to an increased risk of heart disease. So again, it's how these numbers correlate to your heart disease risk. That's really what we're monitoring here. Causes and correlations, genetics is going to be your number one issue. Uh, Parents had terrible lipid panels, then you're probably going to have struggle with this as well. 
the second most important issue and the most important secondary issue, that's two different ways of saying this, saying, <laughs> saying that, um, is a sedentary lifestyle and diet that will contribute to a poor lipid uh, panel with, with a high H LDL and a low HDL and a high triglycerides. Other causes and correlations, diabetics will have more trouble in this area. Liver or kidney disease can cause a problem, hypothyroidism, alcoholism, and then certain medications. We're not going to go into detail there. Clinical presentations, these are going to come in asymptomatic, right? They're not going to look like they have a high LDL, right? That doesn't happen. You're not going to see that in the office. These are going to be done on lab work, right? Routine lab screening. So males over 35, females over 45 should definitely be screened for lipid issues. I mean, so because they're just not, they're not going to have symptoms. It's going to be like last week we talked about diabetes. Before that, we've talked about hypertension. The things that are long-standing issues, it's almost like not changing the oil in your car. It's not a problem. Your car will not have a problem. Your car will not, you won't notice it until the engine seizes, right? And that's your heart attack. You, There is no symptoms. There's no signs. There's nothing you're going to see coming through the door that's going to make you think, other than obviously the patient's obese, diabetic, and all that stuff, but nothing specific that's going to point you to a, that's going to be, oh, that's a symptom of his lipids, except the one thing sometimes I talk about on physical exam are xanthomas. These are possible. Uh, that's that yellow uh, over the eyelids. I think there's a couple other places where you can find it. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, but more than half the people with with the xanthomas have a normal lipid profile. So they're not super helpful. They could be a test question. Definitely keep an eye out for them but not something that's going to be super helpful. The, the most helpful thing, obviously, not obviously, the most helpful thing is going to be signs of coronary artery disease or peripheral artery disease, where the, the lipids are actually causing that problem. So you get claudication, weakness, ting, weakness, numbness, and tingling, those sorts of things might point you to, uh, to this diagnosis, but really it's just the blood work. That's the simple way to do this. So let's talk about the blood work. Labs and studies, uh, you're going to get a serum lipid profile. This is going to be fasting. That's really important. When I first went to VA school, I had to you have to get a physical, right? When you when you go to school, and so I went into the office and I got my blood work done and my physical, and the, I remember specifically the nurse making a joke about how I was going to leak water because she stuck me with so many needles. So to be careful when I drank when I got home. Um, so I got home, no big deal, everything's great. And a couple of days later, I got a letter in the mail, and the letter had. It was my my uh, my results of my blood work, and it had big red circles on it. And please call the office immediately. Uh, and it was because of my lipid profile was so out of whack, and I forgot that I drank coffee with cream in it in the morning, and that definitely affected it. So it's definitely going to be a fasting uh, serum lo lipid profile. Total cholesterol should be less than two hundred. Now I'm going to run through these numbers, and. Some of you are going to shake your heads and say, oh, well, I don't have to know these because on the exam, they give you a normal lab value sheet, right? And that is present. You definitely have a, a, the, the normal lab values. The problem is you shouldn't rely on it. It shouldn't be a crutch for you. One, you should have a global understanding of this stuff. So when you carry on a conversation, when you talk with patients, you know what you're talking about. You know where you're at. You can look at this and say if it's completely out of whack or kind of normal or it's okay. You don't have to be you know, you don't have to memorize every specific one, but having some kind of range is good to have in your head. The other issue is on your exam, you you get that sh the the sheet that's computerized. I say sheet. It's, there there are the reference ranges there available for you, but you really want to limit your use of that. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is it takes time, right? It takes time to flip to that page, find what you're looking for, and come back. A big reason people struggle on this exam is because they run out of time. So anything that to to give you more time is a benefit. And you can definitely get more time by not reviewing the 
normal values sheet. The other thing is, it's almost like saying you can use a calculator on a calculus exam. That's great, and you probably should use the calculator. But it doesn't mean you should use it for everything. It doesn't mean you should just forget your multiplication tables. Your 2 plus 2 equals 4. You're not going to do that on the calculator, right? You're not going to do all that. There's going to be bigger things or harder things to remember that you're going to use the calculator for. But if you use it for every single problem all the way through, you're going to struggle, and it's not going to be easy, and it's going to take you forever. So some of this stuff needs to be in your head, and I think these numbers are not that hard. I think these you can keep in your head. Total cholesterol, less than 200. Okay, pretty simple. I'm going to run through some of the associated numbers, but I'll, I'll point out the ones I think you should really hold on to. Borderline high is 200, 239, and then really high is greater than 240. So definitely know that under 200 is where we want to be. HDL, a low HDL is below 40, and a high HDL is greater than 60. So we want to be both between 40 and 60, but most people are too low here, so usually we want to bring them up. LDL, optimal is less than 100. That's such an easy round number, right? I think you should be able to hold on to that one. Then they go into a little bit more specific. Near optimal is 100 to 129. Borderline is 130 to 159. High is 160 to 189. Very high is greater than 190. Uh, that starts to get a little ridiculous. Maybe you can remember it. Maybe you can't. Definitely know less than 100 is optimal for LDL. And most people are above that. And we want to try and bring them down. Triglycerides. Normal is less than 150. So again, I'd remember that. Borderline is 150 to 199, high is 200 to 500, and then very high is greater than 500. You know, again, well, I'm not sure the detail you need to know in there, but you should definitely hold on to total cholesterol should be less than 100, less than 200, I'm sorry. HDL should be between 40 and 60, LDL below 100, and triglycerides below 150. It's not too complicated with a little repetition. Treatment. Non-pharmacological, right off the bat, we're going to do diet, reduce dietary fat to 30 to at least 30 to below 30% and unsaturated and saturated fat to 10% to less than 10%. So the big thing here they want you to do is drop your saturated fats. You're, the Mediterranean diet is one option. You're going to increase the patient's anaerobic exercise, and this will help increase their HDL levels. And then we're going to work on re weight reduction. We can absolutely use some pharmacology to help with this. Uh, because we're talking about atheros atherosclerosis, you're going to want to do, you can do aspirin, 81 milligrams or 325 daily. And then statins. Statins will be our mainstay of treatment, as I'm sure you are well aware of, for uh, lipid adjustments and getting them back into line. So these will inhibit the rate-limiting step in cholesterol production. Some examples of these are levos lovastatin, prevastatin, simvastatin, and atorvastatin. And I'm sure there are lots of others. The most common side effects is myositis. So if you run into a question, and this is the way it's going to be phrased, I, I would just be very, very, make this an easy one for you. If you put a patient on a statin and they come in complaining of muscle pain, uh, you want to take them off or switch them to a different one. A lot of times a different statin won't be a problem for them, but definitely it's something you want to address if you and something you want to ask specifically about if you put a patient on a statin. Postmenopausal postmenopausal estrogen replacement helps lower LDL and raise HDL. Niacin is effective but may cause flushing in patients and is not well tolerated. Definitely know those side effects. Niacin has flushing and is not well tolerated. Such an easy thing to write a test question on, so I would definitely make sure I knew that. Then there are some other drugs that will help with controlling cholesterol, bile acid binding resins, cholerostamine cholistopol, I think, I'm not sure, and then fibric acid derivatives, gemfibrozole, and phenofibrate. Those are a couple other medications you may add in if a patient can't tolerate a statin or if they need something over and above what a statin will do. 
Great. So that brings us to the end of dyslipidemia and essentially the end of endocrinology. So that's fantastic. We are gonna. We, we certainly are a little bit short. Uh, uh, the show is a little bit shorter today, but I do want to hop in and discuss quickly our study tip for today, which is going to be active studying. I wanted to point out in the beginning here when we talk about the priming questions, getting you involved in the show is important. Getting your brain working, not just listening along, but participating thinking about how you would handle things, thinking about answers to test questions, thinking about how you would write the test questions, thinking about all of these things draws your brain in, makes you active, makes you an interested party in what's going on here. If you just listen, if you just plug in your headphones and fall asleep at night, that's not going to do it. That's not going to be enough. It doesn't just filter into your brain. The repetition helps. And as long as I'm pronouncing things correctly, hearing them over and over will help them stick in your head. But really to get them to hold on, you've got to form these ideas in your head. You've got to create these little pictures in your brain. You've got to actively participate. And that goes for your lectures. It goes for your studying, for everything. If you're just just opening your books and reading them, that's not quite going to do it. If you're just sitting in lecture and listening, maybe highlighting a thing or two, then when you get home, sort of looking through your highlighted stuff, that's not enough. You've got to be an active participant. You've got to be up and moving. It's the number one thing I can recommend for you. You've got to be more involved. You've got to use your brain, not just let the information sort of wash over you. That's a major key to all of this and to retaining all this information. It's why as we progress through our practices, we become much more knowledgeable and have much more readily available information because we've actively been using it. So as people get out into practice and they start treating things on a daily basis, you just that repetition alone and that active use makes you hold on to it. So that's something you just need to pay attention to and try to use. Uh, and then one great thing, especially if you're on your rotations, is to try to link in your brain your experience on rotations to the things that you're studying. That'll really solidify them in there so you can find them for the pants. All right, so let's wrap it up with our answers to our questions. Do males or females have more atherosclerosis? Males, three to one. What's the most important secondary cause of dyslipidemia? Sedentary lifestyle and diet. What's considered a normal level of triglycerides? Less than 150. And again, I think you should definitely know those. Let's just quick do. What's, less, what's, the, what's optimal for LDL? Less than 100. What's optimal for HDL? 40 to 60, right? Those should all be on the tip of your tongue. Pretty easy. When talking about HDL and LDL, generally speaking, we want one to go up and one to go down, which is which. We want HDL to go up and LDL to go down. So that'll bring us to the end of endocrinology. I can't believe we're through it already. Maybe again, it was that I took some time off. And so I just sort of didn't realize how quickly the end was was coming up. Either way, definitely excited to have that done. Uh, Excited to move on to the next thing. Really fun to be back here behind the microphone, back here producing this stuff for you guys and all the great feedback I've been getting. I really do appreciate every single one of me. I know I can't respond to everybody. I do my best. I try really, really hard, uh, but I, I can't possibly respond to every single person who emails me. But please keep them coming. I do read everyone. I do go through them all. They do mean a lot to me. Uh, so please keep that up. Also over on iTunes, I've been getting a ton of great reviews over there. Really nice things people have had to say both about the show, about how it's helped them with end of rotation exams, about how it's helped them with their pants or their pan rate, uh, about how the, the final step has helped them, the review book that I put together you can find over on the website, all that stuff. Really, really nice to see over on the website. So I do appreciate those as well. And believe me, I do take a, take some time out to take a peek at those. So thank you for those. Uh, anybody taking their test this week, good luck to you. And I will talk to you next time. <laughs>